Hello everyone, we're back and this has become a yearly event. Yes. <laughs> Doug Johnson. Let's meet in the pub. In the pub uh, in uh, Portobello. And uh, thanks for doing this again, Doug. It's alright, pleasure. Uh, mainly here to talk about Gone Again, your most recent novel, which uh, is set around these parts. Uh, it's interesting, Smokeheads, you were in the islands. Uh, Hit and Run was in Edinburgh. Gone again, Portobello, so the next one I take it's going to be like rear window and you'll just be in the house, just dodge everything that's going out. Yeah, well interestingly, one of the things that I noticed actually, um, just after this book was written, that I, all three of those books, uh, they're kind of set in a geographically enclosed area, Yeah. and that's, it wasn't a deliberate thing, I never sort of did that intentionally, but it does create a sort of really nice sense of claustrophobia, yeah. of like the inability to escape the sort of shitstorm that's that I'm thrown at the characters, you know? Yeah. And uh, in, in Smokeheads, it was obviously, it was Isla, they couldn't get off the island. But I mean, in Hit and Run, I mean, almost everything happens within about one square mile or half yeah. a square mile in it. And it's a part of Edinburgh that's not the sort of touristy bit. And just, yeah, with Gone Again, I just had this feeling that, um, yeah, Portobello is kind of like, I've lived here for almost 10 years now, and uh, it's just a part of Edinburgh that, that people don't really know about. Yeah. You know, quite often, we talk to visitors and they go, I didn't even realise there was a beach, like yeah. Edinburgh. I was like, oh yeah. But, um, and it's you know obviously incredibly, we're looking out at it now, it's incredibly dramatic. Um, and I just, uh, another thing that I've noticed that all my books do, which I didn't realise at the time as well, totally like. You've been so searching. Yeah, no, no, it's like, and this is absolutely not intentional, I didn't realise it, but they all start and end at the same place. Ah. Like smokeheads, they start and end on the ferry to Isla. Yeah. On the ferry away. And hit and run, it starts, it starts and finishes at, like, the crags. Yep. And gone again, it starts and finishes on the beach. So is this, you think this is a, a desire to make a complete home? I don't know. Yeah, try to make some sort of, yeah, <laughs> get closure, man. Or not. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I, mean, I just, it's a nice little device maybe, but it's totally, I was completely subconscious. I, didn't, I think. I didn't do that intentionally. So reading it, it's an area that I didn't know that well, well, if at all, apart from coming through to see you in the fog last year. Um, and so although you know it's Edinburgh and you know it's Scotland, there is a different feel to it as well, yeah. which is nice, you know, the opening section where there are um, whales beached and things, you think, well, that would never happen on the east coast of Scotland, but uh, obviously it is something that... Yeah, I mean, that was actually a news story just when I was researching the book, and it didn't happen as far south as here. There, there were pilot whales, um, but there wasn't any beaching. There was one or two you were actually seen a little bit further mm -hmm. along, like in Musselburgh Harbour. Um, but yeah, but there was a sort of mass beaching up north, and, um, but I just thought I kind of extrapolated that. But it's, yeah, it's really interesting the, the feel of Portobello. It does feel like a separate entity to Edinburgh. I mean, yeah. it, it was, of course, at one point, you know, before it got sort of subsumed by the, by the spread of the city. But it does feel like there's a real sort of interesting um, dynamic going on. It's a sort of community spirit in Portobello that you don't get in other like parts of Edinburgh. Um, well, in Hit and Run, um, it seemed to be the characters were maybe, certainly central characters seemed younger, and you said that you lived in more central Edinburgh before. Yeah. And um, it's in a way it's a wilder book, there's drugs and uh, um, lots of drinking and it's, uh, you know, hits and runs. Here it does seem... Um, it's it's maybe a more laid back place might be the wrong thing, but it's a it's a setting for it's a more, probably more mysterious setting, and that's what comes across. And maybe it's not deliberate, but you know, and again, it's maybe because it's an area I don't know, but it's in hit and run. I could tell, yeah, that's there and that's there yeah, yeah. and that's there. Whereas I couldn't hear. Maybe that was it gave it a more uh, more mysterious feel to it. 
Yeah. And then maybe you didn't have that because you do know these places. Yeah, I mean, I kind of knew it anyway. I think the, th- the thing about it is that it's, I mean, like we were just commenting before we started recording, like, you know, the, the, there's like, you know, we're looking out at the prom now and it's just like loads and loads of young families and sort of quite a diverse, mm. like, uh, demographic of people. And then, but it just, it struck me as, uh, it's a very sort of domesticated kind of feel, Portobello. It is kind of like, it's where people come to bring up their kids, you know, yeah. and, and that's, that's exactly what we did. We yeah. moved here because we couldn't afford to stay in town, we could go to, you know, it was cheaper property out here when we had kids coming. And um, and I, I wanted to, use, I mean, I kind of deliberately, I mean, using, I use my own experience in the books all the time, but mm-hmm. um, I kind of was really interested for this book to do, to, to sort of describe that that domesticated lifestyle and what would, ha- I mean, it's all my books are a kind of what if yeah, scenario. Yeah, sure. But, um, I wanted to try and do that in, into the most sort of everyday thing imaginable, which is just like kind of. I mean, I'm I'm a house husband. My wife's got a real job; she goes to the, an office, you know, commutes, and I basically do the school run and the nursery run and cook the tea and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Uh, and it's just, um, you know, it literally is. Well, what would happen if something happened to disrupt that? If, yeah. like, you know, just literally, what if your wife didn't come home? What if you didn't know what happened to her? What if? What would you? Literally, what would you do next? What would you do next? What would you do next? I mean, the police. I mean, it's not a crime to go missing. No. There's no law against it. No. So the police aren't interested. In Happens let, all the time. Yeah. yeah. The police are pretty much aren't interested. So what do you do then? You know. And um, and I just I thought the sort of the everyday disruption to uh, kind of just normal life. I'm kind of interested in that. The best review I've had of the book was I think it was in the Independent. Which, the general just was, yeah, this is the exact opposite of Jack Reacher. Like, this is like, this is not, this is not like a Lee Charles novel. This is what a real man would do in yeah. real circumstances if something real happens, as opposed to just like Tom Cruise running about shooting people and fucking being all hard, you know? I think that's where the, um, there's proper emotion in this book for the reader anyway, because I think it does ring true. You would, you start asking yourself these questions. Yeah. Even if you're not married and you don't have kids, you still yeah. say, think, well, what would you do if the person closest to you just went missing? How would you begin to, to deal with that? And I think that, you know, his desperation to make other people understand mm. that this is not normal, although, as you say, gone again, tells you something yeah. more about it. Um, this, his certainty that something's gone wrong is really difficult to get over to other people, especially when they're dealing with it. You know, someone might come through their door every day and say, such and such has gone missing. Yeah. And, I mean, I, you know, I did a bit of research. I actually knew someone who worked for uh, the Missing Persons Charity for a while. And, and the, the statistics are extraordinary. Like, three, 300,000 people go missing in the UK every year. Yeah. And, uh, I, which is like, what? I first heard that, I was like, you're joking. And then... And, the next line of like the little sort of um, thing I was reading said that well, yeah, but around half of them turn up safe and sound quite quickly. But that means half of them don't. You know. And I was like, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, that's like 150,000 people who just disappeared. Uh, Which is quite extraordinary. And you know, and a lot of these people are um, you know people with various um, you know mental conditions and things like that. You know, yeah. whether it's Alzheimer's or depression or you know all sorts of all sorts of different things. Or they're vulnerable, you know, in society. But still, it's I mean, a huge it's, amount. I mean, it's a huge number of people, and that is quite scary. You know, I, I read Andrew Hagen's, you know, uh, book The Missing. Yeah, yeah. Kind of deals with that sort of stuff. And it's, I just, it's kind of mind-boggling, and it's also, um, it's also kind of unresolvable. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, can't, I quite like that because if you're writing neat fiction, you know, you, you kind of, I mean, especially if you're writing crime or thrillers, or whatever, there's this temptation to make everything sort of wrap it all up in a bow at the end. And, yeah. You know, that's your motive, and that's your story. But like you know, in real life, you know, over a hundred thousand people go missing and no one hears from them. It's like, yeah. it's like, oh my god! I, just, I wanted to try and get across some of that, like the sort of 
ordinary terror of that, if you know what I mean. That's what it is. It's the, you've taken a statistic like that, and but you've made it so personal. Yeah. And that comes to my next point. How you say it's it's what if, and most of your books are what if this happened. But how do the family react when you say, well, this is how I would react if this happened? Did they ever take it that personally? My family? Yes. <laughs> no, actually. Good. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is an, inter my, this is an interesting book because this had a lot more um, personal stuff in it than the other ones. I, yeah. think, and I find it quite hard to write. Yeah, I can imagine. For that, for that reason. Because, I mean, it's, it's about a missing wife, but it's, it's not. It's about a sort of relationship between the father and son, mm. really, which is really me. It's absolutely me and my son. You know, all the sort of little um, everyday stuff. And that voice rings absolutely true. You know, yeah. uh, they, 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 they chat about Star Wars across the different generations and how they do it. That absolutely yeah, rings true. That's exactly like I've sat through those bloody Star Wars movies so many times with <laughs> my uh, son. But uh, yeah, and yeah, I'd, so I'd let my wife uh, read quite an early draft, um, but she she gets it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like you know, yeah, page one, I, I make you go missing. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, yeah, it's, it's not a like, what if it's not a fantasy. Don't yeah. worry about it. Plus, it's like you know, people always you know ask you how you know how much of this is you and stuff. Mm. It's like well, you use a lot of your own personal experience, but that doesn't mean that the character is you and that yeah, character no, is obviously, you. Know, obviously, because but this did feel like a much more personal novel. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it's because uh, I know you and you get a young. Family and all of those things, um, but yeah, it, it, you can see why some people do ask that question. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of it is me, but you know, you kind of um, you take that as a sort of, it's like a sort of like a germ of an idea. Use your own experience, and then you kind of just try and ramp up the conflict as much as you can. Like for example, my wife has never suffered from postnatal depression, mm. you know, and like unlike the wife in the book and all that sort of stuff. And it's just you just sort of think. It's a kind of worst case scenario. What could I do to make this worse yeah. for the character? What could I do to pile on the pressure? Yeah, pile on, on yeah. the pressure on it. It does seem like uh, in all your novels you're testing your central character to see just how far. Well, I think, I think you, can, you have to. What yeah. you can deal with. Well, my, my a brilliant writer, Alan Guthrie, who writes fantastic crime novels, he he always says that it's not enough to have like leave your character, your main character, stuck up a tree. You have to throw rocks at him while he tries to climb down. Something <laughs> along exactly. Throw as many rocks as you can at him. Well, I think that, I think that's the most interesting thing. Is like how characters deal with stressful situations. Yeah. They, they reveal character through, you know, their reaction to extreme events. Yeah. That's, that's always what I've been interested well, in. Well, it's, it's an ordinary day and it's an ordinary life and then suddenly yeah. something extraordinary happens. And um, When you were writing down the, the voice of the, the, the son, um, did you, I mean, were you like deliberately listening out to your own, or did you know, that it, it, did it come quite easily that you could get it, these lines? It came really easily actually, because it was just, that was literally just how my son speaks, that's yeah. the chat we have, like just, I mean, I, 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 when I do readings, I read the bit when they're sort of sitting having tea the first day. Yeah. And it was like that three things because you ask him what he does at school and he just says nothing. Oh, nothing. What did you do at school? Yeah, nothing. Of course. Yeah. And he said, right, we have. And we still do this now. <laughs> like he's in P4 now, but it's still like, like, name me three things. So he has to say three things. That's the only way you get any information out of him. Yeah. And it's actually my daughter does this now from nursery as well. She's four. So she goes, nothing. You did, what did you do? Nothing. Who did you play with? No one. <laughs> like, you, can't, you don't can't act like a teenager already, man. You're only four. Far too early for that behaviour. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, all that stuff. Yeah, the, the kind of language and the voice and the dialogue mm -hmm. is absolutely. Him. Although, you know, as is the way with these things, I kind of make the point in the book that it's like like snakes shedding skins, they, they get into something else. Mm -hmm. something else. I mean, now, Aiden couldn't give a toss about Star Wars, so yeah, it's yeah, now yeah. all about Super Mario, yeah. or whatever. And it's like, oh, really? Really? And you just have to, you know, you just go along with it. Well, what's interesting there is the way that uh, Mark tries to protect 
the sound from what else is going on and you wonder how you know you're saying what if that happened from your point of view but then what if you have to ask what if that happened from kids point of view as well yeah. like, would they would they take notice to begin with could you say everything's all right how long can you kind of pretend that everything's all right before you, you have yeah. to deal with that and that's often got to be the worst imagination of all how you're going to actually uh, yeah, well, think. that's yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird uh, t- talking about this because I, I don't want to give away no, what no, no, in the no, book. Sure, but there, no, but there no, were no, two, there were two scenes in the book that I, I deliberately didn't write for a while. Like I was, to- I was clearly putting it off. I was yeah. like, you never seen the house so like neat and tidy. I was, just, <laughs> I was like finding DIY jobs to do and everything, which is so totally not like me. But uh, yeah, I mean, because it was really hard to write because there was yeah, it was to do with like you know uh, a child's reaction to all sorts of stuff, and mm-hmm. it's like. And yeah, I did a little bit of research about that. I'm not, that's obviously not for personal experience, yeah, but sure. you kind of, you know, how kids deal with trauma and all that sort of stuff. And um, and it, yeah, and there is the interesting thing is there's no sort of hard and fast rules like like anything like that. You know, I think adults are the same, but you know, it's never, yeah, it's yeah. never just what you expect it to be. It can be all sorts of weird suppressing instincts and just kind of odd stuff. And I just thought, you know, just try, I just tried to put myself in. Mark's shoes and sort of in the kids' shoes and just sort of go, how would you deal with yeah. this, well, bad, this bad stuff that happens? Exactly. Um, the other central character for me uh, is the mother-in-law. To take it the other, because someone else has got a different relationship yeah, with her. Yeah. And that's, that was, I'd be interested to see what my dad thinks of having read it, because, you know, I think reading it from a different point in time, uh, you'll have different reactions to maybe who you sympathise, maybe not, I don't know if you'd sympathise, but as someone who is... Um, She's the grandmother, but she's also the mother, yeah. and you know there, there are different reactions to what's happening. I think yeah. and what what really was quite quite moving for me was the, the relationship that kind of repairs itself um, between those two. Again, I don't want to give anything away. Yeah. So I hope I'm not. No, I liked I, I liked that, and actually, in a, in a, this is quite interesting. In the first draft, um, she wasn't there. Right. Uh, first draft of the book actually had a different character who wasn't related. Who was kind of helping Matt, and I just I thought I needed something that was more. Like you say, there was more like backstory, more depth to it, mm-hmm. and so and I, I kind of you know, and I got to the stage where I was thinking, well, this is stupid. She must have like, if someone goes missing, like it's not just Mark that's missing. Yeah, there's going to be other people. So what about her parents? What about her family and all sort of stuff? And you know, like you say, it's that you know, adding up, you know, ramping up the conflict at all times. What if you know the mother-in-law hadn't spoken to the daughter for a while, and what if it was because something Mark had done, and what if mm-hmm. you know, what if there was doubts about the missing women's father and yeah. all this sort of other stuff um, just sort of you know just ramping up the pressure on everyone involved <laughs> but you're right well, I was I was quite interested in that in the relationship between Mark and his mother-in-law because they're kind of yeah that's kind of crucial because they're the ones left behind they're yeah. the kind of dealing with the same thing from different from different angle to each other but there, there is a certain amount of empathy with each other it has to be uh, yeah, yeah. Um, It is the, it is kind of the worst fear you, I think that, that that you're dealing with there. You know, the loss of anyone in the in the family in a way that you, where you can't understand it. Um, well, I mean, where in a sense where do you go next from this? Where do you, do you uh, what, what pressures do you put under your, your your next characters if you know it all? Well, the next book's written. So is it? Yeah. Um, it's about an obituary writer. Right. It's a, it's, the central character is a young woman, in fact, a 20-year-old woman, so a student journalist. Uh, so it's kind of all about suicide and death. 
another hilarious. That's where you go. I should have known. Another hilarious rom-com uh -huh. from Doug Johnston. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, she, um, she turns up at work. So she's got a replacement for the local paper, and uh, just to cover the the obits page. Mm -hmm. And she gets a phone call from someone. I don't think I'm giving too much away. Okay. It's a phone call from someone who reads an obituary down the phone, and then apparently shoots himself while on the phone. And that's the start. And that's the start. Yeah. And from there, who knows what happened? Yeah. All sorts of jokes. Yeah, hilarious hijinks. But is it is it deliberate? I mean, what I meant was this seems very close in terms of um, not dealing with the what if is very raw is the wrong word, but um, I can imagine. As you say, this was a difficult book to yeah. write, difficult book to finish. Have you kind of decided right? I've, Dealt with that, if you thought, and asked that question, what if? Yeah. I know I can go on and maybe move away from that. Well, this, again. well the next one that, that's already written, it's it's a lot less personal, kind of. Um, but I'm kind of starting to think of the next book, and I'm picking away a scab of an idea which is actually very, very personal, and it's kind of so personal that I'm not sure I can even write it. I'll have to right, okay. actually speak to members of the family okay. about whether that's going to be doable and not have repercussions in your life, yeah, you know, um, yeah. I can't really say any more about sure, it. Sure, no, no problem. But, um, so, uh, but I think, I mean, whenever you start to write a book, you know, you, you have to basically be pretty much obsessed with the idea of what it is you're yeah. writing about, uh, otherwise, I mean, I do anyway, you've got to be, you basically can't think about anything else for mm -hmm. that period of time. Um, so it makes sense for it to be stuff that is in your everyday life. I, mean, I, I was obsessed about you know, missing people for quite a while. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of joke about it, but I'm now kind of quite obsessed with suicide and the sort of... Again, it's, it's similar to the missing persons thing in that it's like, it's that... It's the unresolvable nature of it. Yeah. It's like there really isn't any, like, as a, which makes it a hard thing to write about in terms of fiction because, you know, you do want to have a sort of, not closure, but some sort of... You know, you, the way you set up a book is to give some sort of relief at the end, and it's, yeah. like, it's like, well, that isn't how it works. And like missing persons, every situation is individual. Yeah, and, you know. everyone's different. So, um, so yeah, I find myself looking through like suicide websites and stuff at the moment, just like <laughs> thinking, I really should try and write a comedy or something, you know, <laughs> something life affirming, and I don't know, I kind of, I can't really. So what, what That's not my thing. Is, do you become obsessed with the idea, like for instance you were given that statistic about um, missing people, did that spark off the idea of it or did you have the idea if I want to write about this and then the research comes? I kind of have the idea first, yeah, it's usually like I was kind of, I don't know what, I don't know what sparked it off, I was just thinking you know, this sort of what if about, you know, somebody went missing um, and then you sort of look at it into it and kind of anything like that and suicide's the same, it's like you start, you start looking into it and the, you know, the reality of it is so... Like kind of shocking and just yeah. and just it sort of you get deeper and deeper into it and it's like digging a hole for yourself and you're in it and you kind of just go I don't know if I'm going to get out there's no way to get out of this is to write about it you know I like, suppose that's true yeah. yeah it's the only way of stopping kind of satisfying that you well it, it is a little bit I mean it's not I'm very wary of just sort of like oh you know art is catharsis type thing but um but there is an element of that that you write about something to get out of your system and I kind of felt like that was gone again when I was writing it I was like it was like if I write about these fucking horrible things then then like that's like that's putting out there so it's not going to happen now you know? it'll stay away from yeah, me yeah yeah you're like saying the very worst thing I know. what I was going to ask was um, the, 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 I'm always fascinated by when people write the police or any kind of members of authority uh, uh, in their books and how you avoid the cliches which I think you do um, but still have the idea that this is something that they deal with you know the people who write the statistics 
they'll just write more statistics the next day and almost like they almost become immune to the reality of if you come out at fresh and you go wow you know Celtic and Rangers football stadiums full of people go missing every year you yeah. know if you think about it in those terms um, and I think when you come to write the police it's very easy sometimes to either say well they're just uncaring and that's it or to kind of go too much the other way and have someone who's you know unrealistic I mean how did you manage to strike that? I just, I just think you just have to remember that these are just real people as well they're just people like you or me that just happen to have like you know you know stumbled into a position of authority yeah I, I, like um I really I because I, I I interviewed Armando Iannucci once right. about uh, the thick of it, yeah. and he was saying that you know when um, the film came out, what's it called in the loop? Yeah. Uh, he said like the Americans really struggle to get it because like they have this idea of like the West Wing of like people in authority are competent and like clever and smart and they're good at their jobs, whereas like the whole point of the thick of it is that they're not. They're yeah. Just, they're just fucking idiots scrambling around trying to you know make it all make sense like everyone else. Yeah. They just happen to be in government. And it's the, I, I kind of have that at the back of my head all the time. Is that like you know, like the, I mean, I, I'm not all that interested in writing about the police. That's no. why the, the police are never central to it. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of usually on the edge. But in this one, like you know, there's an investigating officer, but she's kind of you know she wants to do her best, but yeah. they don't really have the budget or the, like, yeah. the, she's got other things to do. She's just a normal person with with a workload, and and that's kind of. The point is that, you know, for Mark, this is like his life, it's yeah. life or death, uh, but for everyone else, it's like, well, that's, you know, for the police, it's just like, well, that's just another case that we have to sort of begin with, not, you know, but that, that doesn't mean that they don't care about it, it's just that they don't, I mean, you couldn't allow yourself to care about every, every, every case in, in, the way that, about, in, the yeah. way, in the way that it affects the people involved, yeah. you know, otherwise you'd go mental, you know? yeah. it's the same with people, I guess, like, you know, Medical professionals and stuff mm -hmm. working, you know, A and E or anything like that. You, you can't, or social workers, you can't get involved in every case. You go, you know, I suppose as well, or writing obituaries. You know, eventually, you've just got to look at the person. No, not particularly. I always think with famous people, you know, you kind of that's almost already written and you yeah. have to go in. But you know, for someone kind of known in the area, that must be quite a difficult thing to do. Yeah, and I, I find because um, when I was, you know, writing uh, this next the next one's coming out, the obituary writer one, I was reading a lot of obituaries and reading about obituary, you know, writing and stuff like that, and and um, it's a kind of really strange atmosphere you get off. You just if you read lots of obituaries in a row, you kind of get into this sort of weird. Mindset, and I must, I just, you must try to imagine what it would be like to, you know, to do that day in day out, especially yeah. if you weren't used to it, or if you weren't particularly suited to it, you know. And would you get depression, if, you know, yeah. or would it be quite uplifting? Because you know, really nice. I mean, I'm not very, in, like, I'm not very interested in famous people or in heroes yeah. or anything like that. But the, the interesting obits are like the short ones, the ones yeah. that are about, you know, like some woman who just was like a very caring teacher for 40 years in the yeah. community, or someone who did good work in Africa or whatever, you know. Without really getting the credit, you know, and it's only when they die that they <laughs> suddenly. Yeah, there's a brilliant um, Tobias Wolf short story about an, about an obituary writer, um, which starts starts off with like the obit writer gets hauled into the editor's office, and uh, he's written an obit for a guy who's not dead, and the guy's there in the office with his wife, and basically the obit writer gets sacked, and it turns out that the the guy like wrote the obit himself. He phoned at his own death to see like, ah, yeah, yeah, to yeah. see what people would sort of say about him. Uh, and his wife didn't know, so it's just, it's just awesome. It's, everything about it is brilliant. That yeah. happened to someone, though. There was someone whose obituary was printed in the Times, yeah. and he got in touch and said, you know, reports of my death have been uh, greatly yeah. exaggerated. Um, so to move away from that, the last time I spoke to you, 
there was talk of hit and run being made into movie or TV? Uh, TV, uh, yeah. Is there any news on that? <laughs> a glacial pace of uh, development. <laughs> um, well, uh, Smokeheads has been optioned for film. Oh, excellent. And there's a couple of independent producers are putting together a screenplay at the moment. They've got some Creative Scotland funding Good. Uh, to sort of get in, get in develops. I mean, it's a long way from anything happening, but... And Hit and Run has been optioned by ITV Studios uh, for a TV. Mm-hmm. That's kind of separate from ITV the channel, but it's, it's like their production. Right, app. okay, um, yeah, yeah. But so they've kind of, they know them, they know them. And it's interesting, yeah, we kind of having chats with them and I, I might be involved in some of the writing for that if, if it gets going, but I mean, it's a long way off yet. But, um, uh, yeah, one of the interesting things uh, that's happened is the success of Broadchurch yeah. recently, which has, I mean, it's, the, that's, it's weird, but that's the first British drama to actually go longer than, like, two hours, you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. years. And it's been a massive success, because, I mean, I, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was exactly my kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of opened ITV's eyes and the BBC's eyes. They're suddenly you can going, do this. Yeah, which is what we were kind of hoping for it and run. We're kind of looking to try and do it longer. And, yeah kind of more in-depth, um, so we shall see if anything comes of that. But, uh, I thought Broadchurch was so clever because it's like there was one murder in eight hours. Yeah, I have to say I missed it. But it was, I mean, it was just, it was all about, and there was, it was a police kind of who done it, but yeah. that was kind of peripheral, it was all about the effect on the local community, you know, of this death, basically when they're all kind of under suspicion. Um, you know, I think there's something like the average episode of Midsummer Murders has got four deaths in it, like in, in, <laughs> yeah. in an hour. And this had one murder at the start of episode one, and it was just, it was really confident, and it was just clever. It just, I mean, they said this things like Broadchurch, and I think the BBC did something not as well, but above, but at the same time, was the influence and the success of Scandinavian yeah. TV. Is that what did it have that feel to it? Well, it, it kind of did, and it didn't. It, it's sort of pacing-wise, yeah, and, and then the way that it looks at the sort of effect on, you know, like like I say, like on a community as a because it's more socially aware yeah. because you've got the time it's, to, it's literally to do with the amount of time you spend on it if, you, if you're giving someone eight hours worth of drama yeah. you've got time to go into it like you know how it affects everybody in the community as opposed to just clanking along with the plot points and just getting to the you know, yeah. whoever, whoever did it and why they did it you know um, yeah I think it did kind of feel and I, I think that's great I think it's great I love that sort of stuff so is, is there a problem that we're working uh, now that you know when you're doing um, your writing you can go at your own pace and you know you've got one already to go and you're worth thinking about the next one and all of these things but suddenly you're not in control if you're working with TV and film and I take it it's just a very frustrating well I'm, yeah I haven't really had that much experience of it yet but yeah I mean it is I mean it's altogether all a completely different medium because it's collaborative in that respect I'm, I'm quite quite looking forward to that sort of stuff yeah um, but it does seem to be like endless meetings and like just people talking about stuff uh, uh, you know I'm quite keen to just get the fuck on and write it, yeah. you know, and that's kind of what I do with it. But then I'm still doing the novels at the same time, so it's fine. I can just crack on with it. I'm trying to do a novel a year, and I, I have this weird idea that I should be writing much faster. Yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I've got this like thing in the back of my head all the time, thinking I'm sure I could write a novel in a week if I just if I just got, <laughs> if I didn't eat if I just got on Twitter for fuck's sake. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm sure I could fucking do it. But uh, that's just stupid. It'd be the worst novel ever. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it'd be quick. It'd be quick. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there's, um, you know, people like aspiring writers kind of, you know, worry about the muse and about what they're trying to say quite often. I'm, I'm generalising, but you know, there's like yeah, a, there's an idea. I think people who have never written think that and think you know, they've got to really have something to say, and it's like kind of there's a sort of prosaic 
like everyday thing about writing is just keep bash literally just keep bashing out the words and yeah. keep, you know it's a long game you know yeah, yeah, just yeah. keep writing and keep writing and just keep writing and just you know try and get better but don't worry too much about you know having important things to say I've kind of God, I can't read can't read novels that are you know, big. I've got something to say. Novels now. I just. I, I was talking to James Robertson recently, and he was kind of saying the same. Oh, he does deal with, you know, big subjects, yeah. and his latest one is very similar to Lockerbie, if not, you know, yeah. yeah. But um, again, they're still fantastic books to read. Yeah. And it's not. I don't think he's he's exploring themes, but he's not necessarily trying to say anything deep. I hope I've not. Uh, I pissed him off by saying that. <laughs> hunt you down. I'm supposed to be talking to him quite soon, but oh, no. I, yeah, I hope you understand that. Uh, it's still a fantastic written novel. It's you know, and I think as you yeah, see, yeah. you got it's someone who's obviously written and written and written, yeah. and you can tell that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James knows how to tell a story, man. That's the important thing. I mean, that's 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 it above everything. It's a story it's above a story, yeah. above all else. You know, I mean, you can have obviously. And I think, you know, you can have themes and you can have, like, you know, resonances and ideas and that, but that, all that stuff, if you plan that, it, it just it seems stilted or it doesn't seem to work, and certainly when I do it anyway, but I mean, that stuff comes out of good writing, if you, anyway, it's yeah. sort of almost by default, you know. Um, I'm also uh, interested in the, the amount of research that you put in it, when you say you'd like to do one a week, you could do it, but obviously, if you're thinking I can do one a year, and they've become on something that you become obsessed with, then all that research is, is necessary. Yeah. You don't want to go into something, especially things which are, you know, hugely important and, and to some people the most important things that will ever happen to them lightly. I take it you yeah. take that seriously. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is that as you're writing, when I write a first draft in about three months or something like that, it usually takes me, and, as I, and actually over that time, you know, your, opi your opinions on stuff changes and yeah. stuff happens in your everyday life that feeds into what you're writing so it becomes a very different kind of book I mean it's that classic um, uh, Ian Rankin's got a, a thing up on his wall in his office an Iris, an Iris Murdoch quote which is like every every novel is the wreck of a perfect idea which is brilliant it's just like you know you've got this brilliant idea this perfect vision in your head yeah. and then you start writing and like you just it turns into a fucking car crash you know? <laughs> And then you have to try and basically through the redrafting and redrafting, you have to try and get try and get as close back to that idea as, as you can. You know that original idea you had, which you never can because you know it's it's a flawed thing. It's a novel. You know, um, but I find it. Uh, yeah, so much feeds into when, stuff when you're writing that, that, yeah, if you tried to bash one out in a week, it would just be like, it would, it would be thin. It would seem, it would, yeah. be, it would be all surface and no depth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can think of people that do that, but I'm not going to mention them here. Uh, I'm interested as well, and in you know, we talked a little bit about the life of a writer and how you you kind of you know you say you you uh, look after your son and make the tea, you know. But you also, I mean, you were at a reading recently, I think, with Denise Meena and Falkirk yeah. last Saturday. So you got readings, you got festivals. You do you still do teaching? You still? I'm not doing any any teaching at the moment. Um, Kind of every now and then I apply for jobs. I'm not. I'm, I don't feel like a natural born teacher. Right. I, I don't. I don't think I've got any fucking sense of authority. So <laughs> I, I kind of, you know, if I stand in front of a bunch of students, I just think, well, why are you listening to me? I don't. I don't fucking. But know. that never goes away. Everyone that teaches has that. I know. I know. So I kind of. I know. I'm sure. But 
and I, I do some occasionally. I mean, I'm not against teaching. I'm quite happy. Every now and then a job comes up. Yeah. Chuck my CV in. I don't really get anywhere. But I do some. There's a, I do sort of manuscript assessment for this bunch called the Literary Consultancy as well, and sort of mentoring for them as well. So and you still do journalism as well. Bits and bobs of journalism as well. Yeah. So. So how much is that a necessity these days? I'm not just talking about you, but it seems to me that everyone I we interview. The idea of just making your kind of life from writing is almost impossible. You know, there has to be other things on the go. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I think anyone who thinks the. I mean, you have to be incredibly lucky to make your living or solely out of writing yeah. fiction. That's just. I think it's a pretty much unattainable dream, except for like very, very rare um, examples. But I think that's that's fine. I wouldn't want to. I was going to ask. I as well, would you actually want to do that? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not, no, not really. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I still love doing the journalism. I mean, mostly what I do now is just book reviewing so I mean it's pretty simple I can do it from home and I get to read you know all, yeah, yeah. any books I like you know that are coming out and have opinions about them which is fine and yeah a bit of teaching that kind of helps you actually sort of think about your own writing processes as well and like doing a bit of writing and um, yeah the sort of man- manuscript stuff it's all interesting so it all yeah. kind of feeds in so I'm, um, I'm quite happy having four part time livings that add up to just about a living <laughs> Well, uh, what time are we at now? Uh, uh, 20 to 1. Because we have to give this up for people to have their lunch. Oh, yeah, for real, real people. Exactly. Um, so apart from the, the new book, is there anything else that you're up to next? Uh, not really, just well, more meetings about TV and film. <laughs> meetings, meetings, meetings. Do you have a publication date for the, for the one you finish? I think it's um, not until June next year. Oh, really? Yeah, it's usually a year from when it gets bought to when it comes out. So it's going to be a little bit more than a year this time, just because they don't have slots, whatever, favour. Um, and they're trying to give going again a bit more of a life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's various, it's various forms that's coming out. Um, so, yeah, not so, by that time, hopefully I'll have written the next one. That's the idea. It's a bit of a production line. But, so, um, when the book, I mean, the pro- once you've written the book, you put it out there, how long do, do you, does the do your publishers um, kind of push it? How long do they say, well, this still has a life, this still has... Just, I mean, it just depends. I mean, that, just until the next one comes out. Yeah. I mean, inevitably, I mean, the vast majority of sales happen in the first couple of months after it comes out, usually. It depends on the kind of book it is. It depends. You can get all sorts of little bumps. Yeah, I noticed recently you've got, like, Amazon offers or Kindle offers that yeah. come in. And these things make a, you know, a big difference to numbers. I can't tell you how many I sell through Amazon because, I, literally, they, would, they could sue me. I'm not allowed to tell you Amazon numbers. Do you know? Yes, I do. <laughs> They're the oddest folk. If, if I, yeah, if I told you, I'd have to kill you, that's something. Yeah, I have this, I have this image of Amazon being, like... Uh, the Borg from Star Trek, <laughs> just this like this massive big evil cube. I think, I think they're over the water, are they not? I've seen <laughs> yeah. the building. I know. Assimilators, aye. The resistance is futile. I think that's a future. Uh, but he tells an interviewer his Amazon figures and then has to kill him. <laughs> yeah, no. The shady world of Amazon. It's kind of it's kind of frightening, really. And they, they have such a. I mean, they have publishers over a barrel. Like, it's a total stranglehold on the yeah. entire on the entire business at the moment. Um, publishers can't. You know, they don't really have enough clout. I mean. It's, you know, it's a strange kind of situation. Um, what do you see finally as the kind of as a, that as a future? I mean, obviously people are always going to want to read, but will the format change and will publishers survive? And I think they will. I think um, there's still a desire for like um, informed gatekeepers. You know yeah. what I mean? But I mean, I think I think uh, good publishers. Um, I mean, they're really, it's like, you know, it's like that old thing about, you know, 
oil tankers trying to turn. You know, it's yeah, so, it's so slow at reacting to like the you know the e-book revolution. It's kind of embarrassing. And actually, favour my publishers are like one of the better ones because mm -hmm. they're they're kind of a bit them and like kind of big independents like them and Bloomsbury and Canongate are actually been quite good at sort yeah, of getting yeah. on board the e-books. I think they're sort of big ones. You know, the you know Penguin and Random House. I think they're really struggling to to cut the terms of the whole thing. Understand it. Um, but yeah, I think I mean it's exactly I mean it's exactly the same as the music industry was ten years ago. Um, but I think there's still a place for it. I think there will still be independent bookshops and paper books. But I, I don't see any um, way that's going to die out. But I think increasingly you'll get more and more e-books, and I don't think that's a problem. I, think that's yeah. fine. I mean, you know, if more people are buying books now than ever, it just so happens it's a different form. It's like so yeah. what? Who cares? You know. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting times. I don't know how it's all going to play out. I think there will be some publishers will close and some, you know, lots more bookshops will close. But you know, people who are the big chains rather than the people smaller. who are clever about it, like yeah. will survive. You know, you just think of other ways to to make ends meet. You know? I think that's the problem that a lot of people. Yeah, they, they take a long time to realise that they are going to change. I think it's a fad when, uh, if they hadn't learned from the music yeah. industry, then uh, they were fools. I mean, my, I mean, with Gone Again, for example, there's been two, uh, there's been a couple of different e-book promotions, and I've sold, or vastly outsold, like e-books uh, compared to paper books. Yeah. Like, ten to one, I think, wow. something like that. Something like that, if not more. Um, so, and, you know, good sales, so, yeah. you know, who's complaining? And more people, if more people are actually getting to read the book, then in the long run, yeah, I mean, what's the, you know, what's the problem? Yeah. And in fact, it's interesting when you get an ebook promotion on Amazon that you get, obviously, you get a big increase in sales of ebooks. You also get an increase in sales of paper books, and you get an increase in sales of your other books. That's what I was thinking as well, ebooks and paper books. Yeah. So you know. It's great. Excellent. Well, I think on that positive note, <laughs> see, you can be positive. You think it's all death and destruction. No. no. Um, Doug, thanks very much for that. No, thanks for having me. And uh, we'll see you soon. Guys, cheers. cheers.